Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pennington AG Church Online today. We're just so glad that you are with us. My name is Frank. I'm the lead pastor at Connect Church, um, a church that you all help start plant here at Pennington AG. And so it's great to be able to share with you. This again is also my home church. I grew up here. And so anytime I get to share with you all, it feels like coming home. And so thank you again for joining us today. Um, we're in the middle of a series on emotional health here. And Emotional health is really important because I think sometimes when it comes to our emotions, we kind of separate that from our spiritual life. But the heart of the series is to show us that our emotions are actually a discipleship issue. As we follow Jesus, uh, we should do the deep work of aligning our emotions with scripture and also with the heart of God. Many of us, due to a really difficult year, um, full of trauma and stress and difficulty, are carrying additional pain than what we may have a year and a half ago. We may be realizing that some of our old habits of scripture reading and prayer uh, and ways of connecting with God may not feel the same as they used to. Now, I wanna say that isn't an issue with God, but it may be an indicator in our own lives that something is off with our emotions. And so because of that, again, we need to take a look at what's going on in our lives and to wrestle with it. The, the combination of emotional health and faith in Jesus can lead us to a place of deeper spiritual healing and peace. And that's the heart of this series. Today, we're talking about personal loss and, and how to wrestle with the seasons in our life where we lose things. If you don't know me, my story is, is full of this. Uh, it feels like a lot of times in my life, just as I was recovering from a loss, someone else close to me would pass away. And, and as a teen and a young adult, I just continued to get, lose people that I cared about, and I didn't deal with it. I kept it buried under the surface. I pretended like it didn't exist. Um, I kept coming to church and being like, everything's fine. I'm okay. Um, meanwhile, the inside of me was becoming more angry and more bitter because I was not um, t opening up and sharing with people and, and also bearing my soul before God and saying, I need you in these areas. Uh, instead, I kind of controlled it for myself. And I worked hard and I tried to prove myself in a lot of ways to, to get affection and approval so that I didn't have to deal what was going on in my heart. And I'm thankful for a baseball coach in college who called that out in me, who said, you're angry, you're bitter, that's a character issue, and so let's work through this. Um, and so I'm incredibly grateful for him and calling me out in that and helping me work through it. That's the idea of the message today, not to run from our pain, not to run from moments of loss, but to deal with them. And because most of us at some point in our life are gonna experience this. Maybe right now you're in a great season of life. That's awesome. Tuck this away for moments when you get here. But for some of you watching today, maybe a family member has passed, maybe a marriage has ended, Maybe a relationship has been broken. Maybe you're sick and you can't do what you used to do and you're wrestling with that. The list goes on and on of all of the hard things that we experience. And if we're honest, the path that we take to deal with these often isn't healthy. We often put up defense mechanisms and, and just here are some of the ones that I think we often put up in order to protect and to defend ourselves. The first one is, is that we deny. We, we've kind of selectively forget and, and we only remember the things that we want to um, or we just refuse to acknowledge some of the things in our life that are painful. Why? It's easier to deny it than it is to deal with it. 
it's easier to pretend like it doesn't exist than it is to, to do the work of healing through it. Some of us minimize and, and we admit that something is wrong and, and we're maybe willing to take a step, but then we, we shrink it. We make it a lot smaller than what it really is. Like, yeah, this is hard, but you know, I'm doing great. Things are good. It's really not that big of a deal. Some of us blame others. We deny responsibility for our own behavior. We deny responsibility or we deny the fact that, that we're in pain and this hurts and, and we begin to blame it on other people. This happened because this, this happened because that. Or maybe you've even prayed for someone to be healed. And, and rather than dealing with it, you turn away from faith or God and you say, it's God's fault. We prayed. We had faith. It didn't go the way that we wanted. Some of us blame ourselves. We take all the fault on. This happened because I did blank. And you can fill that in today. Others of us, we rationalize. We make excuses. We justify. Um, we provide inaccurate explanations to try and make it seem like why what happened wasn't our fault. We intellectualize. Uh, this is one of the ones that drives me uh, the, the, or frustrates me the most where people try and like uh, maneuver things around where they try and look smart like they're dealing with what's going on. But really, they're just making theories and generalizations so they don't have to deal with what's going on in their lives. Their personal awareness is non-existent. And they just continue to be like, you know, I went through this so that God could work through me. And, and they're trying to say the right things and, and theorize, but reality they're falling apart. Others of us, we distract ourselves. Uh, we binge Netflix. We watch TV. Um, we go out. We do a lot of things. We stay busy. We avoid moments of silence because we don't want to deal with what's really going on. Some of us become hostile. We get angry. We're irritable. Um, we just don't let people close to us. And so we put up a wall of just being mean so that we don't have to deal with what's going on in our lives. And as an American culture, we have become very good at distracting and not dealing with what's going on in our lives. We are very good at turning to things uh, instead of Jesus. We're very good at not dealing with what's going on in our lives. Again, we watch a lot of TV. We keep really busy. Our pace of life here in the U.S. is insanely fast compared to a lot of other cultures. Why? Again, I think it's to avoid some of the things that are going on in our hearts. We overeat, we drink, we spend hours on social media. Um, we do anything we can to help us avoid the pain other than dealing with it. We deny and we minimize our wounds. We become a shell of who we once were. We, we kind of just go through the motions because we think that we need to look okay, but on the inside, we're falling apart. Again, we pretend to be okay. And as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, we kind of bleakly accept our circumstances. This is bad. I wish I wasn't going through this, but I'll be okay. But as we read there, Paul actually says that because of the work of God in our hearts, that we can triumph over these, that, that we don't just need to sadly accept what's going on in our lives, but we have the ability to overcome it and triumph. Especially within faith and the world and, and us not being okay, this idea of pretending, um, sometimes we pretend because we think that if we don't, that people will think we don't have enough faith. I know for me, one of, one of my struggles in walking this journey was if I walked into church and I expressed my doubts or express, expressed my pain and my frustrations, would people think less of me? 
Would they think that I didn't have enough faith in this? And, and the truth is, that's just not true. And I think that's one of the lies that we've bought into that isn't helpful in this. And, and even in Ecclesiastes, we read, for everything there is a season, there's a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. And too often, we are not good at the seasons of grieving. We either go to, to one extreme or the other. We pretend like it doesn't exist at all, or we go all in on it and, and we, we lose faith. We lose um, sight of who God is. We lose sight of being able to move forward because all we see is our pain and our grief. Again, even Jesus, he wept at the loss of his friend. Grief is something that's part of this life. And the way that we know that we deal with it is turning towards it. Um, but sometimes that's difficult and it's not easy to do. But today, Christianity is actually about this. The way to life is through death. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, conquered the grave and brings us life. But if we're honest, again, it's easier to talk about that than to live it out. There is no greater problem in our spiritual life than to be rooted in unreality. True spiritual life, true faith, true growth is not an escape from reality, but a commitment to it. And loss is where self-knowledge and transformation happen. If we have the courage to face our pain, today know that there is healing. Today know that you don't have to stay in, in the same place of, of either hiding it and, and, and feeling like lifeless and formless, and, or if it's completely shaped you and, and you can't get out of it, there's healing in it. We don't have to stay in those places, and that's the beauty of the gospel. We don't have to numb ourselves. We don't have to just continue on for the sake of continuing on, but there is healing. If we embrace who Jesus is, and if we turn our hearts towards him and, and let other people in, we find healing and strength. Today, we're going to look at the story of Job. We're going to read all Job 1, so hang in there. It's a, it's a good portion of scripture. But as we do, we're going to see through the life of Job what this grieving process looks like to bring healing. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of us. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. They list all of this to show he was very wealthy. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts for their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When the celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, these were great parties, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt sacrifice for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all of the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. 
He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, still another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the houses on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. What an incredible story. And to even process this moment, right? Job is getting bad news and someone else comes with bad news and, and it just keeps piling on. And sometimes that feels what life is like. If you get into a moment where, where life is difficult and painful, it often feels that way where life just piles on and Job experiences that here. The story of Job is the story of all of us. Job lost everything in one day, his family, his wealth, and his health. Most of us experience loss more slowly than that. It often happens over the course of a lifetime. We lose our youth. Nothing stops the process of getting older. Uh, even right now, one of the things as we watch Tom Brady, if you don't know him, he's probably the greatest football to ever play or greatest player to ever play in the game of football. The reason we all can't stop watching him is because it almost feels like he's denying the aging process. In his mid-40s, still winning the Super Bowl, still playing like one of the best quarterbacks. That's crazy. It defies the reality that we all age. We lose our dreams. All of us have things that we dream and we wish would, would come to be, and they don't. All of us lose routines, stability, people we care about. Loss is part of life. There's no way to avoid it. Job, and even as we read about Job, he was the Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos of his day. Uh, he wasn't flying rockets to outer space and things like that, but all of the cattle and things that he had show just how wealthy he was. But even in the midst of all of that, Job was godly. He, was, he faithfully walked with God and obeyed him. Job 1 says he feared God and shunned evil. So despite his wealth, he also would be known for the way that he followed Jesus. Job was an outstanding man of character. But it didn't help him to escape the reality that loss is part of life. 
And, and again, it's just part of, of living here. We experience this. One day he wakes up and he's left with nothing. He loses all his wealth and his 10 kids. Uh, and as we continue reading through Job, I encourage you this week, if you would like to, um, he then loses his health. He gets covered in boils and he, has, he gets sick. But even in all of that, Job's response is important to note. He never once blames God. In fact, he does the opposite. He worships. And I say this all the time, worship helps put priorities back in place. Worship helps reframe our minds. And so it's so important that we note that here and for your own life. The last thing we want to do in a season of pain, in a season of loss, is worship. But it's so crucial to our faith. Why? Again, it reminds us of who God is. He's faithful. He's working. He's moving. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But that doesn't change who God is. What makes this story so interesting is the undeserved nature of his suffering. Job was innocent. He was faithful. He was obedient. And today, be reminded of this. If you're in a season of pain and difficulty, no, it's not anything that you did. Job, again, lived blameless. He was a good man. He upheld the things of God, and he still experienced this. Today, again, loss is part of life. But Job models how we're to grieve in the family of God. The first thing that he does is he pays attention. We, again, often pretend to be fine when things around us aren't. Job screams out in pain. He admits that he's suffering. Later in Job 3, he says, Let the day of my birth be erased and the night that I was conceived. Let the day be turned into darkness and let it be lost even to God on high and let no light shine on it. He's saying, erase my life. It would have been better if it never happened. That's how much pain I'm in. I wish that it never happened. He shouted at God. He prays wild prayers. He tells God what he's feeling. For 35 chapters, we read about the struggle that he has with God. He doubts. He weeps. He asks God where he is. But... He admits the pain that he's in. And sometimes in faith, we feel like if we ask questions, if we doubt that somehow we're losing our faith today, it's better to do that than to pretend that everything is fine. Grieving is all through scripture. God mourned creating humanity in Genesis 6. Two-thirds of the Psalms are lament. Jeremiah writes a whole book called Lamentations. Grieving is part of life. And Job's pain lasts for a while. He let it. He didn't rush to get better. And, and even in church, sometimes we're so quick to get past our mourning, to get past our grieving, that we don't appreciate and understand the work that God is doing in our hearts through that season. Which leads us to the second thing that Job does. He waits in the confusing in between. Let's be honest. We hate waiting. We hate uh, being patient. We want everything now, instant, fast, quick, and we don't like to wait. I recently started working at Target, and, and this idea came to life of how much people hate waiting. If they wait in line to check out, instantly their mood changes. They become angry. They belittle you. They say harsh things. Why? No one likes to wait. But we have trouble waiting for God when things feel confusing, and it's because we prefer control. I want to control my emotions. I want to control my pain. I want to control these circumstances around me that I can't, and so it's easier 
for me to pretend like I have control than to turn it over to God and to let him work. Job waited a long time for God to work and to heal his heart. While the people around him quit and left and gave up, Job stayed faithful. They didn't have a theology for this phase of grief. Instead, they tried to say it was because Job sinned. Um, it was because he deserved that you reap what you sow. But the reality is, is that he needed to just slow down and pause and let God work. And, and Job's three friends throughout the story represent religion and legalism. The reason you aren't healed is because you didn't pray enough, because you didn't fast enough, because you didn't read the Bible enough. And, and often in times we, we say things like that. The reason you're in the season of pain is because you didn't do blank enough. You didn't work hard enough, and so God didn't reward you. And again, the truth is that's just not true. The reality of this life, of this world, is that things break we lose, it's just part of this side of eternity, but we know our hope is in Jesus, the one who ultimately will restore and bring us back to relationship with him. His friends tried to fix Job. They defended God and they made it harder for Job even though he was in pain. And the confusing in between resists all earthly categories. Embracing it means that I don't look for the quick fixes, but I'm patient and I'm still. And if you're in moments of loss and pain, you know how difficult it is to be still. But why? Because we don't want to deal with, with what's going on in our hearts, but it's important that we do. Job also embraced the gift of limits. And the hardest part of this is, is being okay with the limits that are on us. Why? Because it drives us to humility. As great as Job was, he had to embrace the limits that he had on his life. And these are some of the limits that I'm talking about. The first one is your physical bodies. Again, our bodies are dying. And so we need to sleep. We need to eat. We need to drink. We need to rest to live. We will finish our life with more that we want to do than what we will actually accomplish. All of us are going to have that happen. We all wish we could do more than there's time for in our lives. But... There are limits on our physical body, which means we need to take care of ourselves. One of the greatest ways that I've learned this in my life recently is my physical limits are very different than my wife's. I can work like forever and be fine and okay, she can't. And so for me, I've had to learn to slow down so that I don't push her to a point where she's exhausted and fatigued. We have different physical limits, but we both need to pay attention to them. Your family of origin. We all are shaped by the families that we grew up in. We all have limits given to us by our family. The way that some of us cope and deal with these instances are learned. They were taught to us by how we watched our parents, by how we watched people when we were younger, and they taught us how to deal with this. Again, some of us, our limits are our marital status. Both being married and being single come with different um, abilities and different limits to our bodies. When you're married, you have to pay attention to your spouse. You just can't continue to keep on. And when you're single, there are different wrestlings and struggles that come with that. And so there are limits with our marital status. Then there are talents and gifts. Jesus had all of the gifts. He had all of them. I don't. I only have a few of them. Some of you today might have a couple. Some of you may have more, but we're limited by our giftings. Only Jesus had all of them, so we need to be humble. I don't. I'm going to use what I have. And time. There's only so much. You can't do it all. 
And it's important to note because a lot of times, again, when we're in seasons of pain and difficulty and loss, the one thing that we wanna do is do everything. We stay busy. We feel like our, our achievement will bring us some sort of approval that makes us feel better. We just can't do that. Time is not infinite. There's only so much each day, and we need to make sure that we take care of ourselves. Even John the Baptist shows this. John's followers were leaving him to follow Jesus. Now imagine how, how crushing that has to be. John's uh, disciples were leaving to go and follow his cousin. But in this moment, he shows humility because he says a man can only receive what is given to him from heaven. And in that, he's saying, I accept my limits. I accept my humanity. I accept my declining popularity. And he must increase, so I decrease. If we're honest, many of us are like a baby. Babies scream for help. Babies are the center of the universe. As soon as they want something, they cry, and everyone in the room turns and looks. Why? Because, again, the baby is the center of attention. And if we're honest, many of us struggle learning this lesson. We like to stay the center of attention even though we grow up. And, and we might not cry like a child does, but we have other ways of throwing tantrums and fits so that people come and pay attention. Our egos are inflated and we act like God. We do more than we should. We get burnt out and then we wonder, how did I get here? We get stressed. We blame others. We run around frantically thinking the world will stop if we, do, if we rest. But as we grow... As we mature in our faith, we realize we aren't the center of attention. We get off our throne and we join the rest of humanity. It's part of growing up. The world isn't about us and we need to accept our limits. This is why grieving biblically is so hard. It humbles us like nothing else. Nothing else in our life than, than our pain and our loss reminds us of our humanity. It reminds us of our need for God. Paul even writes in his letters that as I go through these difficulties, I realize that I need to rely less on myself and more on God. But a lot of us don't like that. We don't like losing control. We don't like being in pain. We want to be able to have life go the way that we want, but life isn't about us. And we need to accept our limits. And as we do that, there we find peace. We also need to climb the ladder of humility. Job came out of his suffering transformed. He was broken and changed, but it humbled him. And again, it made him realize how incredible God was. It was a new level of closeness and intimacy. St. Benedict made something called the ladder of humility, um, which we're going to take a look at here. The first level of it is that we fear God and are mindful of him. And again, this is important. Why? Because we often forget the presence of God. We act as if he's not present. This idea is not new to us. It's actually all throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, God would literally have them stack rocks on top of each other so that when they walked by it, they would say, oh yeah, remember when God did this thing here? Why? We forget. We're not mindful of God being at work in our lives when we're in pain and when we're in a season of darkness. So, Remind yourselves, be mindful that God is at work. The second thing is that we do God's will. We surrender ourselves to the will of God. And, and can I say, one of the most painful things to accept if you've ever been in a season of loss is that this is God's will. And, and we pray in faith and we believe that people we care about will be healed. And, and that's the right thing to do. We read that in scripture, that faith is important to have and to pray that God would show up and work and move. But then... 
we also need to accept God's will. We need to humble ourselves and say, God, that you're in control. And this is the heart of transformation, where I begin to believe and realize that my life is about surrendering to the will of God. We need to be willing to subject ourselves to the direction of others. This is where we give up our control and pride, and we do it without grumbling, and we let others speak into our lives to challenge us and to push us. In the moments where we want to quit or we want to isolate or we don't want people to say the truth because we don't want to hear it, we need to step back and give them the voice to speak into our lives. We need to be patient to accept the difficulty of others. Life with others is full of aggravation. If you've ever been part of community, maybe a small group here at the church, um, maybe even just coming on Sundays, you realize there's a tension in doing life with other people. It's painful. It's difficult. We don't always agree. We don't always see eye to eye. Sometimes we have different ideas of what church should look like, of who God is, and so we get into it over that. But in those moments, we need to be patient. We need to hear others. We need to give others space to figure out their weaknesses. Again, it's not our job to always step in and fix people. Sometimes it's our job just to listen and to understand and to hear them. The next step on this ladder is radical honesty to others about our, our weaknesses and our faults. Stop being something you aren't. Stop pretending you're fine when, the, when your life is falling apart. Let people see the real you. Some of you are never gonna heal. You're not, never gonna get better. You're never gonna move forward if you don't let other people in, if you don't show what's really going on in your life. Become deeply aware that we are all sinners. We need to see ourselves as sinful. Why? Again, it reminds us that we need God. Sometimes we think we're perfect, we're awesome, we're great, we're the best. And when we do that, we forget this idea. It's not to make us hate ourselves, but to remind ourselves to be gentle and kind. Why? We're on the same page as everyone else. We all fall short, we all make mistakes. The next level is speak less. The wise are known for their few words. You don't need to talk all the time. You don't need to be the center of attention. Like we said earlier, being the baby, being the one in the middle, making the most noise. As we grow in maturity, we realize we don't always need to do that. We can speak less. We know the moments to speak up. We know the moments to be quiet. And the last step of this, the, the ultimate peak, is that we're transformed into the love of God. We embrace our limits and the limits of others. We are at home with ourselves and with God and every, we realize that everything is a gift. And because of that, the love of God overflows from our lives to others. We need to let the old birth the new. See, good grieving is not just letting go, but it's letting it shape us. The story is meant to encourage us so that we can realize we can trust God through our pain. The pain we experience in life, see, it doesn't have to destroy us. It doesn't have to make us turn off. It doesn't have to cause us just to bleakly walk through life being like, whatever, something bad's about to happen, but it can actually help us grow and understand and know more of who God is. In John 12, we read, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new life. Again, resurrection, everything we believe as Christians comes from death. 
Seeds die to reproduce. Jesus died so that we might have life in our lives, that as we experience death and pain, it's an opportunity for us to realize it's not our own strength, it's not because we're good people, but the reality is that the world that we live in is sinful and broken, and in the moments of death, they make us turn back to our Savior and say, God, I need you. Our losses are real, but so is the living God. And today as we close, I just want to make space. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior before, today it's in the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we have life. That we realize that this isn't our home. Because I know Jesus, I know that someday I'll be standing face to face with him in the promise of why I endure the sufferings on this side of eternity. It's a free gift, one that we don't have to earn, and it's because of his love for us. If I'm honest, I don't know why life often is so painful here. I wish I did. But the one thing that I can tell you is that you get through it with the strength of Jesus. And today, that's available for you. All it takes is to say, wherever you're watching today, in your own space, even pause the video for a second and say, Jesus, I need you. I've fallen short, I've made mistakes, but today I trust that because of your death and your resurrection, I have new life. And as you do that, God comes and works in your life. And I would even encourage you, wherever you're watching, drop it in the chat that you've made the decision so that someone can follow up with you and help you understand and grow and connect you to the community here at Pennington AG Church. If you do follow Jesus, just a couple questions for you to process today. The first one is, what do you need to deal with that you've been avoiding? Maybe it's something, and maybe you're like me. Maybe something happened years ago that you just never dealt with. And today, as you watch this, you know that, that you've been avoiding it. You haven't, maybe you're, you come across a, an, an addiction or something that you've turned to instead of God and, and healing in that area. I would encourage you this week, make space where you can confess this to somebody. You can talk about this and most of all, bring it to God that you might find healing. What wound do you possibly maybe need to open up this week to bring healing? And I know that that's a difficult question. But again today, hear me, so many of us live in pain. So many live in just being a shell of who we were meant to be. And today there is healing. There is opportunity for you to have the strength of God in your life to overcome that. Let me pray with you today as we close. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your death and for your resurrection, God, that in your death we have life and we have healing. I pray over everyone watching today, God, would you just make yourself real to them? Remind them that you're with them, that you haven't forgotten them. And God, would you bring peace, healing, and hope? God, as we just open up the areas of our life that are broken and wounded, God, heal. Would you send people our way who speak life to us, who encourage us? And God, would you grow us to the point where we can say, we just radiate your love. God, that as the, the dark seasons shape us, God, would we then use them to bring hope and healing to other people? Why? Because of the work that you do in our hearts. Again, we thank you for Jesus and that we have healing and hope today in him. In your name I pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you have a great week.